The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Welcome back to this week's episode of The State of Recruiting, your weekly Horns 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined, as always, by Nick Harris. Uh, We've got a good show for you today. It's going to be a bit different. We are going to get to our mailbag questions that we've been teasing, Um, and this will be the new format. I think we're going to do a monthly mailbag and uh, just kind of save all those up for one. And, uh, you know, I think in the past we've had a a complaint that we haven't spent enough time on those mailbag questions. We kind of buzz through them. So today we've got a little more time in the show. We can we can take our time with them. Before we get into all of that, uh, Nick, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. Um, I, I don't know if y'all can see, but I got my heat zip up on tonight because they're playing uh, the Dallas Mavericks and over to AAC tonight as we're recording on Tuesday. So just throwing that out there to all the Mavs fans. Uh, okay. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Um, all right. Let's jump right into it. Before we get to the mailbag, uh, there was a big commitment this week. And we're, um, we'll, again, we'll pull the curtain back. We're recording this early. Uh, but on Thursday, we do expect uh, on Thursday, uh, Arlington Seguin defensive back Jamel Johnson will be the first commit in the 2023 class for Texas. The Longhorns. Um, Winning out and not a major surprise, but one I would say, um, if you talk to Jamel in the past, I always got kind of an Oklahoma vibe, especially with his teammate, Xavier Bryce, um, you know, headed to Oklahoma. But Texas has pushed hard for this one. Uh, a lengthy corner uh, with a lot of athleticism and could play at different spots in the, in the, in the secondary. Uh, Nick, you were kind of uh, the one running point on this one. How did this all come together? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jamel's somebody who wanted to lock it down uh, pretty early in the process. And, uh, you know, he's been kind of, you know, meddling on his thoughts of the visits that he took over the summer, um, a couple of game day visits that he's been able to take throughout the uh, throughout the season. And Texas has been the one that stood out. Um, Terry Joseph has done a really good job as the, the corners coach here and, um, uh, you know, kind of running point on this uh, recruitment. Um, and Texas is recruiting him as a corner, which I think is another interesting part of it. Uh, but obviously, he's going to have a lot of versatility throughout the secondary. He plays, uh, you know, high safety for Seguin. He'll come up and play press man uh, at, at the corner position. Um, he, he can do pretty much anything you can ask for in the uh, in the secondary. So I think this is a solid first addition to the class, uh, given how talented the uh, defensive backs are in uh, DFW in the 2023 class. Uh, I mean, you got Jamel Johnson. Um, you have JV and Taviano. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple others. But I'm Malik, right Muhammad, Malik Muhammad. Malik Muhammad. Javon Thomas. Yeah. 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 And then you also have Vernon Glover down in the Houston areas. But I mean, it's a really talented D, uh, DFW DB group. So to get him in the class first, I think that's really important to kind of move forward with that kind of momentum. Um, so if we're talking about class building, I think this is definitely a, you know, a healthy commitment early on in the process. Uh, but like you said, uh, Oklahoma was the, the school that probably had the, um, the, uh, the lead uh, perceived before, uh, you know, he shut things down and, and committed to Texas. Uh, so, uh, you know, good, good job of the Texas staff to be able to, to lock that down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think <clears throat> when you look at, um, you know, I think everybody always wants to look at those types of kids and say, um, what are the, you know, what do they bring to the table as far as recruiting others or what are their relationships? Uh, Jamel's not a really vocal kid. In fact, uh, you know, talking to him is obviously it's it, sometimes it's pulling teeth to get him to to say more than three or four words. But, um, you know, he does play seven on seven with True Buzz here in the Dallas area, uh, which is home to a couple of elite prospects in 2023, namely Anthony Hill, uh, the uh, Denton Ryan linebacker. So uh, there are some relationships there that could could work in the favor of Texas. And I think that, um, you know, the, as far as guys to start off with in the 23 class, not a bad one. Yeah, I agree. You, you mentioned the, the relationship with Anthony Hill. I think that's a big one. Um, and just kind of the, the, the true buzz network of, of kids that they have, especially in that 23 and, uh, and the upcoming 24 class as well. Um, you know, I think he'll be able to kind of bleed into some other recruitments and, you know, definitely influence. Um, we were talking to some people. I, I went and saw Jamel. Uh, we'll get into this later, but I went and saw Jamel uh, against Alito last week. 
uh, on Friday. And, you know, there was a lot of people saying like, yeah, Jamel's one of our more vocal leaders, which is something that surprised me because he's a little bit quiet when you, you get the, uh, the camera in front of him or the recorder in front of him. But, um, you know, uh, in the locker room on the field, he's one of the more active guys, uh, you know, leading his team. And uh, we've heard kind of the same things on the seven on seven circuit as well. Um, so, you know, having a having a big vocal leader like that on the field, I think that'll also help. All right. Um, so uh, a big pickup. And that's uh, that's a Je- that's a Jeff Banks production right there. Jeff Banks was uh, all over that from the beginning. And we will certainly talk a little bit more about Jeff Banks. Uh, later on in the show um all right let's jump right into it we're gonna do the mailbag uh we do this we're gonna do this once a month i'll put them up on the horns 24 7 message board and we will pull uh certain questions from that um so we are going to dive right in now and uh try to spend some time really uh really getting into these questions okay our first question from horns forever 22 do recruits see the lack of wins and second half collapses as chances for them to come in and start or is this just the same old Texas from y'all's conversations with sources? Um, I think they're getting a little bit of a grace period. If if I'm being honest, probably more than I expected they would get. I kind of thought a lot of people would think it's the same old Texas. For now, that that pitch of, hey, we need you and you, you could be the difference is kind of working a little bit. It's at least keeping them in the game with some guys. So I think right now, uh, look, you, you want to win. You certainly don't want to lose, and you don't want to lose in the way they are losing, where you're becoming very predictable with it. Uh, but from 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 my perspective, it's not hurting them as much as I thought it might. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, having the benefit of being a first year staff, I think, is helping a ton. Um, you can sell a vision still. Um, you can sell a lot of things that maybe haven't been shown on the field just because, you know, those aren't your recruits. Those are the guys that, you know, you brought to Austin. So, you know, talking to those recruits and being like, hey, you know, you are our guys. You are, you know, the foundation of what this staff wants to bring to Austin. I think that excites a lot of people. Um, and just kind of looking at the the players that, you know, they have been able to mold early on, even if it's just a couple. Xavier Worthy being one, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, he's the only one that Sarkeesian recruited to Texas so far, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, and look what he's been able to do. He's going to be a true freshman All-American most likely. So, you know, being able to sell that vision, I think, helps a ton. Absolutely. Um, all right. Moving on to our next question from HornsFan7612. <laughs> do you realistically see a scenario where Texas can close on some talent in the secondary and on the line? Um, so if you listen to our sourcing, Yes. I do. And and the reason I say that, we'll see how good, again, these guys are at reading recruitments. But there is a lot going on with both of those positions where Texas is kind of holding some kids, so holding off on moving forward on some contingencies because they still feel good about where they stand with the primary guys. If you're looking at the secondary, obviously Denver Harris is the prize, Jacoby Matthews at safety. Um, still trying to flip Terrence Brooks. That's that's still very much a thing. And then if you're looking at the offensive line, it's Devon Campbell, it's Cam Dewberry, it's trying to flip Kelvin Banks, it's uh, Ernest Green and Malik Ogbo. Still a lot of options there. You know, I, I thought maybe they would offer uh, Tyler Knock out at Salt Lake City Brighton when, when they went out to see him uh, last week or two weeks ago, um, and they didn't. So uh, I think a part of that is because they feel um, – that they're in a, a better spot than most. And, and we're going to get to kind of that philosophy with wide receivers here in a second with a question. Uh, but I do feel right now they think that the, and even Sark, I believe mentioned it in this press conference that they feel that they're on track with their offensive line recruiting. So we, we will see. Yeah. And I agree with Sark, but I do feel better about offensive line recruiting than I do in the secondary. Uh, that's just me personally talking. I think they've, they've done a really good job with a couple of guys in the offensive line, Devon Campbell being one, Willie Gogmo being another. Um, you know, getting Cam Dewberry on campus for an official visit next weekend as well, I think that's huge, finally being able to secure that. Um, and, you know, being able to kind of tussle with Georgia for, for Ernest Green, I think that's that's big as well. Um, and then kind of looking at the secondary, I mean, yeah, you have guys like Denver Harris, Jacoby Matthews, Terrence Brooks, but it's going to be a heavyweight battle to secure one of those guys. Not saying that they can't. I just feel more confident that they close on the offensive line personally. All right. Our next question from Andy, 2005, does Texas offer Matthew Golden, uh, Matthew Golden, the Klein Kane wide receiver who was committed to TCU. Obviously, if you've been living under a rock, 
Uh, huge news is Gary Patterson out as TCU head coach. Not huge news if you've been talking to me all year because I've been uh, pointing to this one. Uh, and we'll bring on Guy Frazier so I can, he can tell you all about how I've told him all year, even in the face of doubt. Um, I love Matthew Golden, and I think he's absolutely – in fact – TCU is going to have three receivers up for grabs that I think Texas should look at each one of them. Matthew Golden, Major Everhart, and DJ Allen are all guys I think could definitely play at Texas. I like Matthew Golden the best. What I like about him is he's kind of got the mix of everything you want. He's long. He runs routes really well. He attacks the ball in the air. Um, You know, one thing that we've talked a lot about speed as a need for this team if you watch the Baylor game, the need for a guy who could go up and get the ball when it's contested was was paramount. Um, I mean, how many times did we see well-placed balls just the, the guy couldn't bring them in because there was a little bit of contact or something there? That's a need. And so I, I think Matthew Golden does that. He also brings the speed quotient. Um, he's a guy that I loved. Back in the spring, I thought that, that Texas should have been on him. Um, again, this is a lot like the other two positions. I think they still feel like they're in a really good spot for Evan Stewart. And it le- and, and I think right now they're looking at three to four wide receivers. Unless something happens with Stewart or Armani Winfield, I don't see them going in, in an additional direction. But if, if they're going anywhere, I could see Golden being the guy they offer. You know, me personally, I think they should just throw the offer out anyway. I think this is one of the better receivers in the state of Texas in this class. Um, whenever he was, at, whenever he committed to TCU, I felt like the Frogs got a steal there. Um, and he's he's a guy that's had a really good senior season so far as well. Um, you know, the Texas staff is evaluating him um, and, you know, the rest of the TCU receivers. Uh, you know, I think Golden probably has the best chance of getting an offer out of the three. Um you know, just kind of looking at the board and seeing how everything holds. Uh, he's a really versatile guy. Like you said, he can go up and grab it. He's got good speed. Um, you can kind of line him up anywhere uh, in the receiving course. So, you know, I think it'd be worth their troubles to go ahead and throw him high on the board. All right, our next question uh, from Noel Mo 2000 Are the coaches right to not be panicking in the current state of our O-line recruiting? We kind of talked about this a little earlier. I think they do like where they stand. But I want to touch on something Steve Sarkeesian said in his press conference, and that is they could be at five guys right now if they just wanted to add some bodies. But I think what they're focused on is adding quality guys who are difference makers at the next level. Um, and – I'm a big process over results guy, and I think that that's the right process to take. Now, the results do have to be there. You do have to land those guys. You can't just say, well, we're only targeting five-star out-of-state guys who aren't looking at us because we want to have the best. Um, You've got to find that right mix. But should Texas be able – I mean, all they've got to do – I mean, what do we name, Nick? Five or six guys there a second ago on the offensive line. Land two of those guys to go with the two you've got. And maybe, maybe if you can't land another, find a high upside guy near the end of the year to a project. And I think you like your offensive line class a lot. That's um, I, I would rather them not panic and and just start taking guys for the sake of taking. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, we're gonna have to see commitments for me to feel one hundred percent confident. But um, yeah, and December is gonna be a crazy month for off- offensive line recruiting. I think it's gonna be. You know, that early signing period, that's going to be probably the biggest storyline is how will they be able to close on the O-line, especially after, uh, you know, last year's class only being able to close on two guys, um, Hayden Connor and uh, Max Merrill. So, you know, they, they really need a good O-line class this year. Um, I, I think they are right to not be panicking. I mean, you have Kyle Flood, one of the better offensive line recruiters in the country. Um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian has definitely taken it upon himself to, you know, be involved, being involved in this uh, in the offensive line recruiting as well. You got Devon Campbell, Camp Dewberry coming in on official visits. You know, pretty much every O-line uh, target that they have has come in on an official visit. Um, so just being able to close on, you know, two or three of those five guys, uh, I think it's definitely possible. And I, I think they, uh, you know, if I had to guess right now, I think they close on Devon Campbell. Um, growing more confident in Malik Ogbo. And then, you know, grabbing one of Ernest Green or Camp Dewberry. And if you can't, like you said, go ahead and, you know, grab a project towards the uh, end of the class, whether that be in February or whatnot, um, then I, I think they would be happy with that. And they're still taking the slow approach of trying to flip Kelvin Banks as well. And I think exactly, you, yeah. you mentioned um, uh, Kyle Flood being the guy that, uh, you know, he's a good O-line recruiter. The thing that's encouraging to me is if you have the conversations with coaches, players, 
that we were having last year about Herb Hand, and really the last two years about Herb Hand, they're a lot different right now. There's a lot of there's still a lot of respect for Kyle Flood, so I think that's big going forward. All right, uh, from David Hume, what would Devin Brown bring to the quarterback room that it is currently lacking? I don't know that it's you know he's got a tool that nobody else does, but when you look at, at what Devin Brown brings to a class. Um, Probably a little higher floor than Malik Murphy, uh, more of a safer uh, of a safe bet to develop, um, with uh, still a, a realistically high ceiling. So I think um, you know what it's not necessarily what does he bring different, but they're looking to add more quality there, more competition, and what you really want it to look like is an elite quarterback room. You want it to look like Ohio State, or you want it to look like. Um, Alabama or something like that, where you've got three or four or five stars and you're going to take some transfers because, um, you know, those guys are going to leave if they don't get the job and then you're going to, you know, move on and recruit another five star. So uh, I, I really like what Devin Brown brings overall. I think fit wise for the offense, he's, he's really strong. Um, and so I think that's where the interest is. Yeah, you said high floor. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think he brings a certain level of uh, reliability to that quarterback room. You know, he's he's somebody that can come in next year, um, you know, compete for a lot of playing time, and in a sophomore year, compete for a starting job. Um, uh, while, you know, Malik Murphy, he probably has the higher upside, um, but he probably has the lower floor. He's going to be more of a project of work. Um, and, you know, I think even he sees maybe two years before, you know, he has the opportunity to step on the field as well. So, um, you know, I think Devin brings reliability, high floor, like you said, um, and uh, just some, you know, really elite basic skills that, you know, not a lot of quarterbacks have in the in the country. All right. Our next question comes to us from Longhorn Fan 777. If Texas misses out on some of the top O-line targets in the 2022 class, do you see them circling back to some other O-line recruits from this class, or will they hit the transfer portal hard? Um I think, yeah, I mean, obviously they're probably going to circle back and they're probably setting up contingencies now. If you want some names of contingencies, here's guys I would look at. Uh, Tyler Kanak, who we've mentioned from Salt Lake City. Um, In-state, a guy I, I've heard a little bit about is Alvin Ibaselli from Capel, um, who is a uh, kind of a top uh, – you know, a, a high ceiling, kind of like that project guy we talked about, long offensive lineman, uh, Quentin Harris from from Seguin also I think would be on that list, Ness and you commit. Um, I, I think they would like to hit the transfer portal hard, but it's going to depend on what the quality of offensive lineman is in there. It's just it's a really mixed bag at that position usually in the portal. Um, and while there might be a lot of bodies, there might not be a lot of quality or guys that can come in and play for you right away. I also want to throw in Austin Kowecki from Frisco, uh, Lebanon Trail, the Oklahoma State commit uh, as a possible contingency as well. But, um, you know, I'm curious how the portal shakes out in the spring. This is just kind of more of a big picture uh, idea. Um, you know, some are saying that the transfer portal will be cluttered with, you know, a ton of uh, a ton of talent from the 2021 class. Um, there's a lot of people saying, you know, it could you know, have a lot of seniors in it. I, it's all just kind of pure speculation at this point, but, you know, kind of looking at the offensive line talent that could possibly be in the transfer portal, you know, that's probably something they would evaluate, you know, after that early signing period and seeing, you know, what their better options are right there. So they will probably answer this question in January, the staff being, um, but if I had to guess right now, I, you know, I think they give a hard look at the portal and if they don't like what they see, you know, grab a couple of contingencies. All right. Our next question uh, from D Carmen 09. Is there any chance at all of landing both Harold Perkins and Denver Harris, or are they headed elsewhere? There's a, a good chance. I mean, I, I think if, if you look at it, they're, you know, arguably in the top three for Harold, although, you know, new schools keep coming in every day and uh, new visits keep popping up. So it's hard to say that's a solid top three, but that's kind of been the group for, for a while. I'll let Nick expand more on that. And they're probably in the top two for Denver Harris. So, yeah, they've got a chance to close both. They've just got to do it. I think if you had to ask me where they have a better chance of closing, I'd probably lean Denver Harris. But, um, uh, you know, I, they have they certainly have a chance. Yeah, I agree. I think the better chance would be with Denver Harris. Um, you know, Denver's been really um, uh, open about, you know, how much he, he likes the staff and likes Texas. Um, but talking about Harold Perkins, you know, that's going to be, you know, a, a a heavyweight battle. Texas A&M is doing a great job there, especially now that they're surging after the uh, Alabama win. Um, 
you know, Texas is going to need to show a little bit more on the field, uh, I think, to get Harold Perkins. Um, but they, they do have the opportunity of showing him early playing time. They have the opportunity of showing both of these guys early playing time. Um, I think there is a chance they land both, but it would definitely be it definitely be pretty crazy. <laughs> All right. Our next question comes to us from Howie 4514. In your opinion, who are some sleepers in the 2023 class Texas might prioritize? Maybe a name or two that we don't know right now. All right, I'm going to give you a couple names. And they're on the defensive side of the ball. Um, the first one is Bravion Rogers from LaGrange, a cornerback prospect who has um, some elite, elite track times. Uh, he stands 5'10", 185. Um, we've got him at, uh, I forget the, the exact time, but he's uh, certainly sub 11 in the 100. Um, he's a guy that I think, again, it's a big year for corners. Um, it's a big year for, uh, for, for corners in the, in the States, uh, you know, as well. But I think that he's a guy that could emerge. Uh, the other guy I like, the other two guys I like are defensive linemen, Brendan Bett, uh, from Killeen Shoemaker, um, or is he from Ellison? Uh, he's, he's, from one of the, he's at Ellison. Okay. Uh, a big body defensive lineman who I think could factor in down the line. And then Marquise Hill, a defensive lineman from Denton Ryan. Those are guys that I think could get a look uh, later on, guys that we're necessarily not hearing a ton about right now. I'm going to throw in Dylan Rogers, the uh, linebacker out of Cy Woods. Um, that's somebody who's been hearing from Texas quite a bit, uh, growing a relationship with Jeff Choate. The linebacker board's definitely going to open up after the season. The only in-state linebacker offer out right now is to Anthony Hill. So that's definitely going to expand and get wider. I think Dylan Rogers will be one of the first to, uh, to get an offer at that position. Corey Kelly, too, is another guy down there that I think yeah, could, be a, could be a linebacker. Uh, our next question from... R-L-I-S Lewis, uh, with Gary Patterson out at TCU, is Jalen Gilbo back on the Texas radar? So this is a player I'm talking about that I think there would have been some movement, but I think Texas is in a bit of a holding pattern here. I think for them, you know, they've um, they've ridden that ride before, <laughs> and they've ridden it a couple of times. And, uh, and right now they're going to see kind of where things are shaking out with their primary targets. Uh, before looking back at what at Gilbo, so uh, communication is certainly ongoing, um, but I don't think it's an automatic at this point in time. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be something that's determined here in the next couple of weeks as, as things shake out. Uh, you know, Gilbo's going to have to decommit first, um, but uh, we'll see how the staff approaches it. You know, this is definitely a you know an elite talent at the corner position. I think uh, I think Texas would be smart in getting back in the Gilbo race and you know, going through that ride again, like you said. But um, we'll see as the, the next couple of weeks shake out. All right. Um, our next question comes to us from a China Doll 10. Who of the current commits do you see coming in and making an instant impact? And a bonus question, Pinkerton's Barbecue or Hutchins Barbecue? Um, I think that there's some guys that can play right away on the defensive line. If you look at build, Justice Finkley is is probably that guy. Aaron Bryant might be that guy as well. Uh, those are two guys I think come in and play right away on the defensive line. Um, offensively, uh, I think Brennan Thompson will probably get a look this year at some point or next year at some point in some in some packaged roles. I mean, they've got to get that speed on the field. And then Jamarian Miller, I think. Um, one thing that surprised me is how heavy Sark has leaned on Bijan Robinson. And it's something we all wanted for sure. But having another dynamic player um, is, is, is probably paramount at that position. I think Jamarian Miller or Jaden Blue could both fill that role. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with, um, I think, Brian Allen Jr. I think he's somebody that can definitely get in the secondary pretty early. Um, he's going to be enrolling early as well, so I think he could have a big spring and you know compete for some solid playing time. You mentioned Justice Finkley for sure. Jay Montap, uh, a big body on the edge that you know if he sticks through and signs with Texas, I think that's somebody that'll be you know a really physical guy that they can um, you know rely on early on. Uh, also going to look at Christopher Ross. You know that's somebody who's having a big senior season. I think he could come on um, the uh, Texas campus and you know really you know surprise some people. Uh, Cole Hudson, you know, with the offensive line being as thin as it is, I think that's somebody who could definitely go in and, and you know, prove his worth early on and get on the field early. But, you know, there's a couple of playmakers in the uh, uh, in the class already, and I think there's a couple of possible commits that could be, you know, coming into the picture, such as Evan Stewart or Denver Harris that could definitely touch the field early. 
Oh, and Pinkerton's. That is my answer there. You know, I've only had Hutchins catered, so I don't feel like I have a, you know, um, a healthy assessment of this question, but I'm going to go ahead and go Pinkerton's. All right. Our next question comes to us from, uh, where are I? Oh, there we are. Um, Din 12, how many people uh, from the portal do you think we get in the offseason? I can't give you a number there. Um, I think that uh, they will be pretty aggressive in attacking the portal. Um, if you ask me, I think that um, if they find what they want in there and if the rumors are true, like we said, COVID recruiting, we think, might lead to a bigger than normal class of guys who went off somewhere else from this area um, coming back into the portal and back into play. If those are true, I think Texas is going to be a huge player for any position of need. Um, it's just going to depend on who goes in. Right now, there's a lot of guys talking about who goes in, um, whether they actually do it or not. That's the question. Yeah, agreed. I, I don't think that's um, you know a question that we could probably answer until maybe January or February once we see you know the, the attrition of certain positions um, you know on the roster. Um, and, you know, how, how much talent is in the portal. But if I just had to, like, completely ballpark right now, I mean, I'd say at least three. <laughs> yeah, oh, I would probably guess more than that. But yeah, I, I definitely I just, more, but, I mean, at least yeah, three to five. I, I, can't, I can't give you a number now without really knowing what's in there. Yeah. All right, and our final question. Uh, what are your thoughts on this monkey story? Could this monkey business impact recruiting? Um, from Jetson212. For those who weren't on Twitter um, Monday night, was it Monday night? Yeah, it yeah, was. Night. It was. Um, truly a, a remarkable night on Twitter. Probably on we'll go on the Mount Rushmore of nights on Twitter um, one day as reports slowly started to leak out that Jeff Banks, his girlfriend's monkey, bit a kid at their Halloween extravaganza. Um then there was the whole uh, sorting it out and, uh, you know, we had videos of the property and the monkey enclosure and all those sorts of things. I mean, it was a banner night. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, man, I don't know the laws of owning a monkey. I don't know if it's legal or not. Um, if it's legal and they're doing everything right, as long as I don't believe the monkey's being abused or anything, I'm OK with it, I guess. Um, that's other people's business. It's not mine. Uh, as far as it biting somebody, look, I don't think it will, but weirder things than this have been used in negative recruiting, so it wouldn't surprise me if I hear something come up. But um, I, I don't know. I just, I, it's hard for me to see a high school prospect say, um, "No, nah, I'm not picking your school because your monkey bit a kid." <laughs> yeah, I don't think it impacts recruiting at all, really. But uh, yeah, it was one of the more legendary nights on, on Twitter as well. Uh, Hashtag free the monkey. Um, you know, the monkey did nothing wrong here. The, the real question is, what did the kid do to, you know, uh, incite the, the monkey to bite him? That's what I want to know. Taylor, you might do the banner at the bottom. Just say satire there. Uh, satire. <laughs> just for legal purposes. Uh, Nick is speaking in satire. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's a stand your ground state, as we were reminded. So that the monkey was in its enclosure for sure. Uh I, I um I, I think I, I think I, I gotta side with the monkey. All right, that's going to do it for the mailbag. We hope you guys had fun with that. Well, we're gonna try to do it monthly um, and and spend some more. I feel like we got some more time on those questions, Nick. Uh, usually we're just buzzing through and we're answering them in thirty seconds. I feel like we did more. Um, all right, we're gonna go to break. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, we're gonna bring in our friend Uncle Fraz, uh, Guy Frazier, to uh, to help us do our high school picks of the week. And there he is. Uh, you know what? This is, what, the fourth week or so we've done this? And every time he pops up, it's like, oh, there he is. It's like a pleasant surprise, even though I know it's coming. <laughs> um, guy, how's it going? Well, I'm just listening to Nick himself into uh, some hot water there, it sounds like, a little bit with the whole monkey game. It was a hell of a night last night. Pretty funny. Yeah. Do you want to chime in on the monkey? Uh no, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll leave my name out of the hat. But I did get a good uh, good chuckle out of it last night. It was a good time. Uh, 
All right. Um, Nick, before we get started, uh, we had uh, we had a shakeup in the standings, uh, I'm told. So uh, hit us with the records. Yeah, so so Guy came in a little bit after us uh, as far as, um, you know, the pickup. Um, so we've been kind of going off win percentage when it comes to, to him. And also I've doubled down a couple times when Mike hasn't. So, uh, you know, win percentage is the, the best way to go about things. We have one week left in the regular season before we reset the slate for playoffs. And the current standings have Guy leading right now at 33-8 and eight, uh, with a .805 percentage. Uh, Mike is at 42-11 and 11 with a .792. Get the smirk off your face, Guy. It's not lasting long. And I am at 43-13 and 13 with a .767. So, uh, I'll bring it up the rear. Very, very close <laughs> between all three. <laughs> very close between all three. Any three could win this week with a big week. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite interesting. All right. Um, guy hit it. What do we got? It's a uh, last week of the season. We've got some districts on the line. We got playoff spots on the line. We've got massive rivalries. Let's go. Hit us with it. Yeah. yeah so I think last week was our real last great week of the regular season. Uh, but with that said, this is still a really solid week. Uh, and sometimes we're kind of limping to the finish line and ready for playoffs to happen. But we have some really good ranked matchups this week uh, as far as rivalries and some playoff spots to kind of seed out and finish as we uh, head on to the by district round next week. So with our first game, uh, we're going to do a DFW local game here, 7 p.m. Thursday night at Cravens Field on the campus of Arlington Lamar High School. We have the South Grand Prairie Warriors who are 6-3. and three. Traveling a little west down 30 to face off with the Arlington Lamar Vikings, who are 2-7. and seven. SGP enters this game as a six-point favorite, according to the DCTF computer. Uh, there's, there's a couple things going on here. You look at Lamar's record and you say that's not a very impressive record, but their two games that they've won are actually in district. So we have a little bit of a three-way tie, three-way finish for two spots going on here. SGP's 3-2 and two in district. Lamar's 2-3, and three, and Arlington High is 2-3. and three. Uh, so Lamar's the key here with them losing to Arlington High last week. So AHS holds the tiebreaker over Lamar. Uh, but if Lamar was to win and AHS loses, then Lamar's in. Uh, if Lamar loses and Arlington High wins, then Arlington High's in. And if they both win, SGP actually beats out Arlington High because they have the tiebreaker over the Colts. So Arlington High would fall to fifth. Um, and for what it's worth, Arlington High plays Bowie this week in a pick 'em type game, so they're all kind of right there next to each other. Uh, and then the last little keynote for this game is Laban Delay, who's a good friend of yours, Mike. Uh, is going back to his old stomping grounds plus his staff as they were just previously at Lamar. Uh, so it's a big game between the Vikings and the Warriors. I'll let you take over. I appreciate you picking this one, and and for this reason we've we've picked south grand prairie games twice on this podcast thus far um once it was against martin and i would not pick south grand prairie against martin uh the next time it was against grand prairie and i ended up taking an l there um guy is giving me one more chance because he knows i've got some deep relationships on that south grand prairie staff one of my best friends in the world coaches for them um he's giving me one more chance to get a w with the warriors so uh i gotta take it um I look, Lamar is tough. Uh, nobody knows that team better than Leva Delay, though. Those are his kids. No, weirdly, it feels weird to say this, but nobody knows how to exploit that team better than Leva Delay. Um, so I will take uh, South Grand Prairie to walk it off and uh, get in the playoffs. Um, you know, I think this game's a little bit closer than, you know, the records indicate. As Guy said, I think Lamar is, um, you know, definitely a sneaky two and seven team here that could definitely knock off South Grand Prairie. And I'm flirting with the idea of taking Lamar because I need to make some moves this week. But I'm going to take SGP and be safe here. Um, you know, take the take the better team, uh, take the team that has impressed more through districts. So you know, I'm going to go ahead and take uh, the Warriors. Fair enough. Yeah, and one other thing to to note here: if Lamar wins this game, uh, and Lamar and SGP are both the teams that end up making it in, Lamar would actually fly up to the third place spot at three and seven. So. Uh, for seeding purposes in the playoffs, that's a little bit of an interesting note too. Um, you know, Nick, like, um, go ahead. It's like back in the day, Ryder made uh, the playoffs one year, two and eight, and they had right. shirts that said two and eight going to state. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. 
So Nick and I have seen some crazy games at Cravens uh, the last couple of years. Uh, with that said, I, I think it'll be a close game. I don't know if the wacky finish will happen, though. Uh, I'm going to roll with the Warriors in South here. I think feel a little bit more confident about that. Um, they've got some some pretty solid talent over there, uh, and I think I just feel more comfortable with it. So I'm going to roll with the Warriors as well. Uh, moving on to game number two this week, 7 p.m. Friday night at Frisco's Ford Center at the Star in Frisco. Fabulous facility, in my opinion. Uh, the number one Denton Ryan Raiders, who are 8-1, uh, will face off with the number five Frisco Lone Star Rangers, who are 8-1 and one as well. Uh, a little bit of a cork here. Lone Star enters as a 10-point favorite, according to the DCTF computer. Not sure I agree with the computer there for once, but it is something to note. Uh, Ryan's going to want to make this a physical fight. Lone Star probably wants to make this a little bit of an old-fashioned shootout. So a little bit contrasting styles here. Uh, I'll let y'all take it over. I honestly, this is this. I mean, like, really, if you look at, uh, I think there's two game to three games on this list that you've got for us that are just like, wow. I, I honestly could see it going either way and not be that shocked. This is definitely one of them. Um, Ryan has been so dominant over the past couple of years and they've got it done with defense. And um, even though their offense isn't really what it was last year, um, I think defense defense carries uh, carries over year to year. Not to mention, I mean, Frisco Lone Star plays a really good brand of defense themselves. Um, and, and they've certainly got the playmakers offensively, but I'm going to roll with the Raiders on this one. Um, you know, I, this is kind of a toss-up. I feel like either of these teams could win the district championship on uh, on Friday night. Um, you know, both of these teams have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. I'm actually going to take Lone Star here, um, A, because I, I need to be making some moves. Uh, you know, may as well take some chances. But uh, B, uh, you know, Garrett Rangel has had a good season for first go Lone Star. Um, you know, they've, they've had a good defense at times as well. Um, and also because it's Guy Fraser's favorite team in the state of Texas. Mm, I thought that might be mentioned once or twice during this pick. Um, Shout out to my close personal friend, Jeff Raven. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, no comment there. Good guy, good staff. Just uh, a little bit of a grudge match with my Scotties. Um, anyway, focusing on this game, though, uh, there's actually a lot in play here as far as playoff seeding. The loser of this game probably has to go against uh, number three college station in the second round whereas the winner avoids them until later on and maybe would get Mag West. So uh, I think you would much rather face Mag West in that situation, but either way, it's, it's still the playoffs. Um, another thing of note is Garrett Rangel is starting to get healthy, right? He's been out for a couple of weeks uh, during the, the middle portions of this season. So with him kind of getting back into the flow of things, I think this makes this game um, a little more interesting than if it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, with all of that said, I probably trust Ryan's defense more uh, in this situation, and that's nothing against Lone Star or any of my, my past grudges, but uh, I think I feel more comfortable with the Raiders. I don't think the Raiders are as strong as they've been the last couple of years, um, but they're still pretty lethal. So I'm going to roll with Den Ryan as well on this one. Moving on to game number three, 7 p.m. Friday night at Mustang Stadium in Magnolia, Texas. The number two College Station Cougars, so I guess my, my bad, College Station's number two in the state, uh, who are 9-0, and uh, will face off with the number 10 Magnolia West Mustangs, who are 9-0 and as well. DCTF Computer has College Station as a 17-point favorite. A couple things of note, CSTAT has won their last three games, 76-0, 70-0, and 70-0. <laughs> so they've been cooking, um, and I, I think it would be District 8 5AD1. And then, um, yeah, no, I mean, that's pretty much it. Magnolia West also entered the top 10 poll for the first time this year, uh, this week. So they're a new entry. Uh, I'll let y'all take over. College Station is the definition of a wagon. I mean, they are just, they are rolling downhill. They cannot be stopped. Don't get in the way. The only thing that worries me, and I've got a, I did, my prep for our high school picks is basically listening to the Tep and Step podcast, listen to them talk about teams because they've got a lot more uh, grip on the the intricacies of some of these teams that we don't aren't necessarily covering if they don't have recruits. 
Um, and like they mentioned, like the only thing that might worry them is if College Station gets in a close game because they haven't played one, um, how they would handle it. That's kind of my concern, but until somebody plays them in a close game, I'm not sure I believe it. Um, I've got College Station rolling, and, uh, you know, we'll talk uh, certainly, I think next week we'll, we'll certainly do picks, but we're going to clear out some room to do some brackets, bracket breakdowns. So uh, we might have guy the whole show next week, actually, um, to just do a big playoff preview. But, uh, yeah, we'll talk. I think we'll talk a lot more about College Station next week, um, but I've got I've got the Cougars in this one. Yeah, I'm also going to take College Station. Uh, really strong on both sides of the ball, um, especially on defense. They haven't really been tested in district play. I don't think Magnolia West will give them much of a test. While I do think it'll be their biggest test, you know, that they'll see so far. Uh, definitely a healthy test before going into the playoffs. I still think College Station pulls it out. Yeah, so I like College Station. This one, I think the thing to keep in mind is the team that's come out of eight five AD one the last couple of years has kind of always been a little bit untested. Uh, Lufkin fell into that trap a couple of years ago when they played Frisco Lone Star down at McLean. Actually, the same day Highland Park was playing College Station right down the street at Waco ISD. And I want to say Lufkin at the time was number one team in the state. Hadn't really been tested yet. Then they ran into a Lone Star team in the second round. They got tripped up. So uh, I'm always kind of curious to see what these teams out of District 8 do once they get into the playoff picture. Uh, things kind of open up and they have to travel north to the DFW area. Um, but they don't have to do that this week. That's down the road. So uh, I think Magnolia West wants to probably keep this one lower scoring, whereas College Station has kind of just gotten out on teams and obviously never relinquished the lead. So, um, or on, yeah. So, anyway, uh, one other note is Houston Thomas uh, is a tight end for College Station. Been a big fan of that kid for a while now. Saw him at uh, a camp here in the DFW area two years ago, big 6'5 tight end receiver type. Uh, decommitted from Kansas this summer and is currently exploring his options still. Uh, so with all that said, I'm going to roll with the Cougars as well. All right. Moving on to game number four, uh, and this is our double down game. So uh, keep that in mind. 7.30 p.m. Friday at Chaparral Stadium <coughs> in the Westlake Hills area of Austin, Texas. The number eight Austin Lake Travis Cavaliers, who are eight and one, will face off with their bitter arch rival, the number one team in the state, the Austin Westlake Chaparrales, who are nine and zero. The Chaps enter this game as eleven point favorite. A couple things to keep in mind: uh, this game didn't happen last year because of the whole funkiness of the COVID season. Both teams just decided not to play. Uh, but two years ago, when they did last play, LT won this game in a close one, twenty-six to twenty-five at home. Uh, and the last time this game was played at Westlake was three years ago when the Chaps won 44 to 14 uh, and a little bit of a dominant effort. Um, so, you know, I think the other thing that's kind of weird about all this is Westlake is trying to go for a three-peat right now. And I feel like that's been a little bit overlooked compared to like when North Shore did it a couple of years ago. So uh, there's a lot of play here, um, but this is just another step in their path. So I'll let y'all take over. That's a great point. And I'm either going to make a lot of people nod along with me or just be outraged that I'm calling Westlake somewhat underrated. But Westlake's little dynasty that they're putting together here is underrated. I mean, they have been in the last – I mean, if you look at what they did two years ago against Geyer, sure it was that without Eli Stowers, and then what they did last year to Southlake, two of the more dominant state championship wins I've seen um, with these elite teams – and this year's team might be the scariest of them all. Now, mm-hmm. there is a there is a lot of talk about if Cade Klobnik's going to play in this game or not. He's been injured. Um, the thought is, you know, do we hold him out and make sure we're good to to end in Todd Dodge's run on a state title, or do we do we try to beat like Travis? I think if Dodge is is making making the call, and he certainly is, um, they would much rather win the state title and keep Cade healthy. I'm going to assume he's not playing. But I did try to use my edge and uh, contact some sources over at Westlake to see if he was playing prior to this <laughs> game. Here's the answer I got. Uh, I said, hey, is Cade playing? We're going to pick games on our podcast. The answer I got was, I don't know yet, but I personally would not bet against us no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to take that advice. Um, 
and I'm going to double down on the chaps who have the best offensive line in the state of Texas. They got a nasty defense. Give me a Westlake to, uh, to, to win this one. Yeah, Westlake has just been waltzing through uh, district play. Even after Kate has gone out, that offense has still been humming. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think they've really missed a beat with Kate being out, which is you know saying quite a bit when you have the number one quarterback in the country and you're still putting up over 60 and 70 points. So, uh, you know, this kind of speaks to the team that Westlake is this year. Um, you know, Lake Travis is kind of shaky, shaky at times on the defensive side of the ball. I think Westlake will exploit that. I think they win big. Uh, double down on the Chaps. Yeah, so I'm going to try to pick this game with the idea that Cade's not playing either. Um, although there is this, like, little bit of a gut feeling that because he's not been able to play Lake Travis as a varsity player, uh, because of everything that's gone on the last couple of years, I do wonder if he makes a, a good argument and push to try and play in this game. I don't see that happening, but it's just, like, this weird gut feeling that I have. Um, yeah, with all that said, I'm going to roll with Westlake here. They're just rolling at this point. And I think maybe they're a little bit of a mini dynasty here is being overlooked. Maybe just because with the North Shore Duncanville deal, you had rematches involved. And so that just escalated that story. Whereas this one, they're, they're going to end up playing a different team potentially three years in a row. So Re Rematches and historic finishes and close games. Yeah. And like this is just Hail Westlake's. Mary's. And I wouldn't. I, I think it's an insult to call it a mini dynasty. Three years in a row is a dynasty, and I think right. that. Um, and I'm not saying you guys was the one that first called it a mini dynasty, but um, three years in a row is a dynasty. And the way they've done it with just thrashing Dominance. everybody that's come up yeah. against them. I mean, I. You guys were at the North Shore game uh, last year, the semifinal. I would wager that's the closest game they played all year. I saw the regional final the year before, uh, the week before, where they did whatever they wanted to Cibolo Steel, a pretty good Cibolo Steel team. So, I mean, and, and then we saw what they did to, to Quinn Ewers and South Lake in the state finals. That is a team on a mission. Uh, when Todd Dodge announced his retirement, they went straight Michael Jordan, the last dance with everything. And um, they were calling, they're calling it the last dance around there. That, that team's got one goal in mind and they're usually pretty good at accomplishing it. Well, and, and maybe from our standpoint too, the recruitment of some of those players has been a little bit more quiet compared to maybe some of the recruitments that were going on at North shore and Duncanville. So some of those have been set in stone as far as their 22 guys. And then as far as their 23, those are just coming along now. So, Maybe there just hasn't been as much to you know discuss at this point, but it just seems like that's been a little bit of a quiet storyline when it probably should be one of the bigger ones. For sure. Um, here's a, here's another one more thing I'd like to add. Um, I think that these uh, more affluent schools don't get the reputation for hate um, that that some other schools get. Like if you've got like a inner city rivalry or something, you know, we talk about more of the hate of it. These two teams hate each other. Like, yeah, uh, they just, they, it goes, it goes a long way. You know, I heard Tepid Stafford seven reference seven. A, reference seven yeah. on seven. We were there. We saw it. Um, I mean, I, if you just even think about the times like Baker Mayfield has taken shots at like Westlake when he's been in the NFL. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. Sam as well. And so it's always funny to me then when those guys are like, when you've got Ellinger throwing to Kate Brewer at the next level and they're like best mm -hmm. friends, but, um, <laughs> You know, I think uh, this t this is an underrated, like, we hate each other, we're out for blood uh, rivalry. So, um, yeah, it should be a fun one. If you can get out there to Chaparral Stadium, and I would bet by the time you hear this, tickets are sold out. Uh, but if you've got a ticket, it should be should be a really good time. Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll make my pick official if I haven't already. I'm going to roll with Westlake here. So, um, doubling down. Uh, that, yeah, that's a good question. Are y'all doubling down? I, I didn't hear it. Yeah, we've question. all we've all doubled. Yeah, you're doubled down. Um, okay, I'll double down too. That kind of forces my hand. So, um, okay, moving on to our final game and our quote unquote small school game of the uh, week. We're going to go down to class two A D one. So, uh, about as small as you can go. Uh, seven thirty p.m. Friday at Four Sands Buffalo Stadium in the big country region of the state of Texas. We have the number five Holly Bearcats who are nine and zero. They're going to take on the number 10 for Sam Buffaloes who are nine and zero as well. Uh, Holly enters this game as a seven point favorite. Uh, Mike, I'm sure you heard this a little bit on Tep and step this week, but they kind of discussed Holly's defense and their dominance this year. So I decided to dive into those numbers a little bit more. Uh, I think step actually compared them to, a little bit of the Dangerfield defensive back in the 80s. 
Um, I don't know if they, you know, have near the talent that Dangerfield team had, but the numbers are eerily similar. So uh, one little note here is Holly's defense hasn't allowed a point since September 10th against Merkel in week three, uh, thus outscoring the opponents 278 to zero in the time since. Uh, in total, they've outscored opponents 415 to 21 this season with seven shutouts. Um, so that's dangerous level of returns on defense. Uh, Forsan, uh, in their own right, has been pretty dominant as well, uh, but a little bit more steady Eddie. They haven't been thrashing teams quite the same. Um, and, you know, Holly's been building towards this season. They've had three really strong seasons leading up to this, whereas Forsan, this is a little bit uncharted territories. Um, so, uh, you know, they've been a team that's kind of been limping along the last couple of years and now find themselves at 9-0 as well. Uh, so big game, but two kind of different stories of getting here. I'll let you all take over. I can't tell you anything about anybody on either of these teams. I don't no. know anything about them, but two things you just said make Holly the clear pick to me. The fact that they have been building toward this, they're ready for this, that and Forsan kind of arrived here, and the fact that their defense has been so dominant, like I said, defense travels, it translates, it goes everywhere. Um, I'll take Holly in this one. Yeah, Holly is the the um, you know the pick that should be made. Uh, when you're playing from behind, you have to make some risks. So I'm going to be the biggest Buffalo fan on Friday night. Let's go <laughs> for Sam. Let's bring it home. <laughs> Nick's running the K uh, the the uh, Cameron Dicker fourth and eleven fake punt. <laughs> Yeah, I really, I really am. <laughs> um, yeah, so to get a little more specific about that, uh, Holly in 2018 finished 10 and 2. 2019, they were 13 and 1, and then they were 10 and 3 last year. Forsan was 1 and 9 in 2018, 3 and 7 in 20 or uh, 2019, and then 5 and 5 last year. So they're going 10 and 0 this year, baby. Yeah, they you're, you're going to really need them to buff up here. Uh, no pun intended. So. Uh, yeah, with all that said, give me Holly. Uh, I know they're only a seven-point favorite according to the computer, but I think it could be a couple more touchdowns than that. So uh, I'm going to roll with the Bearcats on the road, um, and that'll conclude this week. All right, Guy. Um, hit us with uh, where were you last week, and uh, you are not covering games this week. Is that correct? Correct. So Thursday last week, uh, our good buddy Zach Collins, who – Coaches over at Mesquite and trains offensive linemen here in the DFW area and actually just around the state in general. Uh, his cousin plays at Plainview, so we went up to uh, Wichita Falls Memorial Stadium, which was a new venue for me to, to watch him play. Uh, his name is Coromo Collins. He's um, a, a undersized running back or a little bit of an athlete, I guess is what you could list him as, uh, that's been lighting up the 806 this season. Um, he had strong early returns in that game last week, and then he got a stinger and got hurt and wasn't a sling the rest of the night. So uh, a little bit unfortunate um, for him and for our travels, but it is what it is. Ended up seeing a really good game. Uh, they played Wichita Falls, and Wichita Falls won 56-35 in a little bit of a uh, Northwest Texas shootout, I guess you could say. Um, and not to mention um, – that was my first time at Memorial, and I and I loved it. That stadium is in really good shape for its age. Um, I, I don't think they've would. changed that press box since probably the 60s. The lights look the same and everything, but it's fantastic. I don't know if y'all have been there before. but Yeah, no, um, I remember I told you last week I, I figured you would love it. Uh, yeah, the only time I went there, it's the, it's the only time I've ever left a game early because the kid I went to see got kicked out of the game, and there was literally nobody else to see in the game. And I was like, you know what? I'm going back to Dallas. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, it's a, it's a great stadium. Um, yeah, and so I guess they actually have a big one up there this week, Wichita Falls Rider and Wichita Falls High Plain. I, I was told that's the game to go to. I'm not going to it. But supposedly it would be sold out, and when that stadium's filled, it's a really cool atmosphere. So I can imagine. So it's it's a large place with um, a lot of history behind it, and they seem to take a lot of pride in it up there. Um, and then Friday night um, – Nick and I went over to Wildman uh, over in East Arlington on the campus of Sam Houston High School to watch Seguin host uh, Alito on senior night. Um, it was a little bit of a snoozer, not going to lie, uh, but got some good content from the Alito perspective. 
Uh, a couple guys that, that stood out was Devon Keys, 2024 athlete linebacker. Um, I, I think he's probably a middle linebacker at the next level, but that's a kid that we've known for a couple of years going back to his middle school days. Uh, he played really good there in the second level of the Alito defense. And then uh, the Allen brothers looked really good on the, on the back half uh, in the secondary. And it was just a dominant effort for Alito. No surprise, really, but um, – you know, I'm breaking my rule and seeing them a little bit early. I, you know, I typically try to avoid them in the regular season, but uh, pretty good returns from the Bearcats, and they look they look strong. I'm curious to see how they go up against uh, Sock and Lovejoy as this playoff action gets rolling. Um, and then moving on to this week, you're right, I'm not going to any game. Um, Thursday morning, I'll be traveling out to Laguna Beach for a good friend of mine's wedding Friday night. So we've got rehearsal dinner Thursday. Uh, and then Friday is the wedding. Uh, she's a good friend of mine from Baylor. And for once, I get to just attend a wedding. I'm not in a wedding. So I get to just kind of enjoy it from the stands and just be a friend. So uh, we'll get that knocked out. And then Saturday, travel back uh, in the afternoon in time to get home to watch the Iowa State game. So that's uh, my weekend plans. Um, is there, your friend originally from California went to Baylor? She is, and that's actually pretty common there. There's a it's lot of Californians in Colorado. Super common. I it's dated extremely a, common. I dated a girl at Baylor who was from Orange County back in the day. Yeah, she um, actually knew Matt Barkley uh, growing up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which I always got to wonder, you know, you and sorry, guy, cover your ears. I know you don't like Waco slander, but um, I always got to wonder, you know, leaving Orange County and coming to Waco, what the what the thought is. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, uh, Nick, what about you? Uh, last week on Thursday, went down to spring at Planet Ford Stadium, one of the newer stadiums down in the Houston area. Really awesome venue. Uh, if you guys haven't been yet, check that out here pretty soon. Uh, went and saw uh, Aldine Eisenhower play spring to Caney. Um, for the, the main reason being Ryan Niblett, the 2023 wide receiver that has been recently offered by Texas. Uh, you know, he's, he's somebody that's going to, you know, blow past the defense, you know, a speed guy that, you know, the Sarkeesian staff really likes. Um, you know, I think Niblet's going to end up being one of the more sought after uh, receivers in that 23 class. It's already put pretty cluttered here in the state of Texas. Uh, really liked what I saw from him. He was nursing a little bit of an injury, but was still able to go and, uh, you know, produce uh, uh, the way he wanted to. Uh, he had a touchdown in the first quarter on a jump ball on fourth down and double coverage. It was really impressive. And then, um, you know, he's got really crisp route running. You know, I, I like his uh, I like his ceiling and his upside. I, th I think he's going to be one of the uh, more fun watches in 7-on-7 seven seven if he does play 7-on-7 seven seven in the spring. Um, was also able to check out 2025 wide receiver for Aldine Eisenhower, Dion DeBlanc. Uh, I think this is going to be a kid in the 2025 class that will be absolutely awesome. Um, really good size already at about 5'10", 180. Uh, and very similar to Niblet, uh, runs really fast, really good route running. He ran a 10.98 as an eighth grader back in the spring, so I, I really like to block and, and where he could possibly go. On the spring to Caney side, Jaden Robertson, he's a, a defensive back that Texas has had on campus for camps in the past, um, and uh, he's starting to finally get some power five attention. Uh, looks like schools like Duke are close to offering, uh, but on the offensive side of the ball, he had six rushing touchdowns on Thursday night, so uh, – you know, a big time, uh, a big time performance there. He's another speed guy that you know has been producing pretty well for for Spring to Caney. Uh, they also had 2023 wide receiver Jonah Wilson, who's picked up some love from Texas A&M, LSU. Didn't do a whole lot in the game, but um, you know he's had times this year where he's looked pretty good. Uh, and then on Friday night, like uh, Guy said, uh, we were down at Wyoming to see uh, Arlington Seguin Alito. He's, he touched on Alito. I'll touch on Seguin. Um, you know, Jamel Johnson. They didn't really test him for much of the night. Um, they were running, you know, the plays opposite of him. Um, and, uh, you know, Xavier and Bryce, Oklahoma commit, uh, looked pretty good as well. Um, you know, there was nothing really to, uh, to, to knock as far as the, the power five guys in that game. Um, uh, and also Quentin Harris, we mentioned earlier in the podcast, he can be a contingency plan on the offensive line. Um, he looked pretty good as well, uh, protecting for Seguin, despite Seguin's offensive line for the most part on, uh, aside from Quentin Harris can absolutely deteriorate So, um, you know, wasn't too bad of an effort, but uh, uh, that was last week. This week, I will only have one game on Thursday night, uh, DeSoto and Waxahachie. Uh, these two on this podcast have been telling me forever how Waxahachie has an amazing press box uh, spread of food. So I'm excited to get down there, see it, and at the same time, see DeSoto, John T. Cook, Caleb Mitchell, all those guys. So uh, 
uh, excited to get out there and experience it. It'll remind you of Longview, Nick. It's it's a, like a spread where yeah. everybody just it's like a potluck. potluck it's not spread, like they yeah. cater something. Everybody just brings something from home. So you'll get you know your your grandmother's favorite chocolate cake and cookies and sandwiches and all that. Oh, That's yeah. my experience. Say anyway. less. They they do cater it too. They do will they? have like every chicken place in town. Though the one time I went, they had like Buffalo Wild Wings, Chicken Express, and like nine different chicken places, and then desserts were all were all okay. potluck. Okay. So uh, it was, and they clear your plate in the press box. Like people will come by and pick up your plate while you're sitting there. <laughs> so uh, truly first class hospitality at Waxahachie. Um, <laughs> last Thursday, I went out to Homer B. Johnson Stadium, which was pretty good. It, it, you know, I liked it. Uh, I like it better than Williams. Um, I could say that. Um, and uh, saw Naaman Forest and Lakeview Centennial in a game that for 58 minutes was incredibly boring. Um, it was a 30 to nothing game with, with two minutes remaining with Naaman Forest up big. And Lakeview Centennial proceeded to score 22 straight points in those two minutes. Uh, and they could not recover the last onside kick to give themselves a chance to tie. Um, I, I thought... Uh, I thought Marcus Deal was incredible watching him play offensive tackle. He plays both ways, and I know he wants to play defensive line at the next level. That kid, to me, is a potential first-round pick at offensive line. Um, was dominant against uh, Trey Wilson from Lakeview Centennial, who I really like. Uh, you know, put him on his back a couple different times. So I, I really love what Marcus Deal brought to the table. Um, I think he's a guy. And then Justice Perales, their center, uh, who's, who's the son of the head coach, I really like as well. I think could be a, a G5, uh, you know, center or, or the right P5 even. Um, on Friday night, Battle of the Axe, uh, as as Marcus played Louisville, it was the first time I crossed paths this year with our friend Jason Hal, and uh, we laughed about that because usually we're in a lot of games together, and this was it took until week ten uh, for us to see each other. But uh, we had a good time. It was a really cool rivalry, um, uh, a packed house. It sold out, uh, you know, just packed to the gills. Uh, it was a tight game going into the half. It was uh, thirteen to ten, Marcus, I, I believe. And you know, guy, you had kind of said last week you don't you don't trust uh, Louisville. Um, Never since Tony Cade left. No. Nope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know what? They got a little bit of adversity in the second half, and Marcus used that adversity to just kind of roll a little bit. Um, I, I think uh, Marcus had a stop. They scored, and then immediately forced a turnover, and the game was pretty much over uh, from there. Armani Winfield played spectacularly. I, I really loved his performance. You know, he I. I they didn't throw the ball as much to him in the red zone as I thought they should have. But when they late in the game, when they were trying to come back, they would just start throwing it to him and he was making one handed catches in the end zone. And um, I thought he played extremely well, went for over a hundred yards. So uh, a really good game by him. Uh, Jaden Hardy, the, the 24 safety didn't play for Louisville. He's been injured um, on the other side of the ball. Uh, Ashton Cozart showed really well for Flavio Marcus uh, had a touchdown pass and a couple or a touchdown catch and a, a couple of other big catches to extend the chains. Um, and so, yeah, I thought it was, uh, was a really cool rivalry. I'd, I'd do it again anytime. Um, and uh, yeah, so that How's was the that quarterback situation shake out for Marcus. What'd they do? Not great. They, uh, they did not. They, so I had heard that they were playing Cole Welver about once every third, three drives. They, he did not get in until garbage time until it was time to run the clock out. Um, so uh, not great for uh, for Welliver and uh, the 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 highly ranked 2024 quarterback who I think, um, you know, when they moved here, probably thought he had a, a line on that position. And then, um, you know, now things have certainly changed with uh, them playing a senior guy above him. So um, this week. I've got Thursday night. Uh, I will be flying to Lubbock with my good friend Matt Stepp. We are. Uh, I've always said that I don't go west of Fort Worth. It's just a personal rule of mine. Nick's the West Texas guy, but uh, you know, uh, certainly a good friend can get me out that way. And our good friend DJ Mann, um, who has probably been the guy I've been closest with in the coaching community since I got into this business, is now the head coach at Lubbock Coronado. I told him I would come see a game. Uh, so Thursday, Step and I are headed out there. We're going to go see 
Uh, well, first, we're going to go to the Lubbock Media Luncheon as soon as we land, which should be fun. Um, and then we're going to go over to Estacado High School to, to meet some of their prospects. And then uh, that night, Lubbock uh, Coronado versus uh, Amarillo Tuscosa in a game where we'll see guys like Major Everhart, who I mentioned earlier, and uh, Avion Carter, a, a big Texas target on the defensive line. And then Friday, I'm coming back early Friday morning, uh, Friday night. I hope to be at Newsom Stadium. I've not been to my favorite, uh, one of my favorite high school stadiums yet this year, um, and uh, still waiting on credentials. But um, Mansfield Timberview versus Burleson uh, to see guys like Andre Kojo for Timberview, and uh, of course Dylan Rayola for Burleson. Uh, so it should be a fun way to cap off the season. Uh, I've been told that if I can't get credentials. Um, I could probably get in with one of the teams. So um, that, that might be the move. Uh, so, yeah, that'll do it. All right, fellas, anything else uh, you want to add before we sign off here? Yeah, I'll be remiss if I, if I don't mention it. Uh, Keandre Fleeks was a kid I liked from Wichita Falls last week. Uh, and the only reason why I mention him is he's the cousin of former Hershey stars, Chris and Lloyd Murray. Uh, so somehow he, he ended up at Old High. Uh, but he is a 2024 receiver that I think y'all should keep tabs on going forward to some extent. His recruitment really hasn't picked up yet, but he did stand out. Big, long, tall kid uh, with a little bit of explosion. They struggled to get the ball to him with any consistency, so a little bit hard to tell, but he was intriguing. So forgot to mention him, but thought I would. And right. this is why we have you on the show, guy. The, the completely random notes from the, the 2024s from Wichita Falls that – May or may not pop up on Texas radar at some point in time, but hey, we can always come back and be like, "Look, Guy Frazier had it." So, hey, you guys, yeah, I, don't know, I don't know if he'll end up at Texas per se, but he, you know, he might be a name down the road, just in general, to know from a statewide perspective. Never forget that one of those names to know last year was Jure Bledsoe, when nobody knew his name at all. It's very and true. I had the first conversation with him. That was it's a very, very strange one. So, so. Yeah, stuff happens. All right. Um, That's about it for me. Um, you know, looking forward to the, the last week of the regular season and Saturday night, really looking forward to all the playoff matchups that'll be coming out. So, yeah, maybe more Sunday. I heard Step talking about there are some late games that are going to decide things. So he'll be working late into the night on matchups, but we should start having a good idea of at least where some guys are headed or where some teams are headed and where we're planning week one of the playoffs. So we're excited for that. Uh, thank you guys for uh, joining in on the show and playing along and, uh, uh, and participating in our mailbag. Thank you to Taylor Estes, who does all the hard work of putting this podcast together, editing it, doing all the stuff. Like she truly treats us like the talent. We just show up and do our job and she does everything else. So uh, we appreciate her for uh, the technical end. Uh, for Nick Harris, Guy Frazier, I'm Mike Roach. We will see you guys next week.